My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. I've just had a client recently. She bought one for, I think, uh, in the eights, I think eight, 840 for a splitter block and sold each block uh, for 540. I think those are the rough numbers. And yeah, she turned it around in 11 weeks from settlement to settlement. This is the Think Big Property Podcast, where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. Over the last few episodes, Nyang and I have been discussing ways to find the best deals on your property development journey. Inside this episode, we'll be digging deeper into those methods starting with land subdivision. We'll break down what it involves, what the challenges are and most importantly, how to get started. Land subdivision is a massive topic and it can seem quite intimidating to begin with. Nyang and I have felt that intimidation firsthand and we both have developed land subdivisions of our own. We're here to tell you it's totally doable. It's certainly a bit big topic and I know some people it kind can be a bit mythical or mystical that there's just where do we start and what do we buy and what do we look for? So I know sometimes it can be a bit over the top and people get confused, but it doesn't need to be like that. There's a handful of things which will go through just the basic requirements because I know you're in a few subdivisions mm. and so am I and I suppose we've all had to start somewhere, yep. right? And yep. um, But I think that's the hardest part is finding your first one, like with anything, whether it's just buying, finding your first investment property, you don't know the language, you don't know the parameters, you don't know what the rules are um, and, and, you don't, and there's money at stake so you don't want yes. to lose money as well. So there's a lot of emotion, there's a lot of fear um, but like anything, think big, start small. That's a whole theme of about our podcast, right? Think big. That's right. And, uh, but, but start small. So We start off by taking a look at how Nyang started out outlining his own experience with land subdivision. I think um, it went back to about 2003 when I had a, a serious joint venture partner. We'd, uh, once we finished our JVs, we'd bought about $2 million worth of property. I was 23, 24 at the time. Uh, and part of that portfolio was a, a handful of um, splitters or subdivisions there. We didn't necessarily do the projects, but the, I think the first one we bought together, um, what I mean by we didn't do the projects was we bought it and it, one of them was two lots. Mm -hmm. um, a, a house already on two lots and uh, it was in on, on the Brisbane north side um, being 17 years ago we were able to buy it for sub 400k mm. uh, within 10ks out and um, yeah it was already on two lots and, and at the time there was some changes in the Brisbane City Council so I got a development approval on it 
um, and it, it was funny because in the end, because a prop that property was already on two titles, um, the the guy who bought the place literally just tore up the DA and um, just knocked down the house and, and built two houses. So we bought the site added value we bought it under market value and then a few years later we put it back on the market um i can't remember how much we made 50 100 grand something like that and um and sold out because um yeah i wanted to exit that that jv so that, that was my first one there um the thing i learned there is that a property on on two titles is very very powerful in in the way that that developer knocked it down and um, built straight away so um, we didn't really have the experience or the wherewithal or the capital or the intention to develop it, but we had those options up our sleeve there. But we just sold the title of the site with potential um, and, and went forward from there. It's really interesting. So just to clarify, that was considered what we call a splitter. Is that right? Because you already purchased a title with two titles on it. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. A splitter. And look, it's just a uh, a term that is not technical at yeah. all. It's just what we call it in, in Queensland. I know that in uh, Victoria, in regional Victoria, there's a lot of splitters in inverted commas where they're just properties with currently existing titles, uh, two or more existing titles. And back in the 50s or whatever, I'm guessing that people were able to buy these and they often built houses over the top of the, the two titles. Um, the, the titles are generally 400 square meters each. So a typical splitter. Is around about 800 square meters. There's around about you know 20,000 of them in in Queensland. Oh, sorry, in uh, in Brisbane alone, and and they're very very popular. Um, they're 10 by 40 once you split them, and um, yeah, people don't mind living in in such small blocks. <laughs> it's all relative, right? It's relative, yeah. It, it's fascinating because you don't see very many of those across New South Wales. Like I've had a look. I mean, there are some sort of out towards west. And um, I, when I was talking to speak to architects, they said, "Oh, you know, check out this block." And I'm like, "Wow, I didn't realize these even exist." Because I, I hear a lot of them up in Queensland, and um, it's quite a common thing. And I guess from a, a different perspective, from people who are listening to this podcast. You don't really need to go through too much um, paperwork to actually get it done through the council because you've already got two existing titles, which means that you don't have to actually go and raise new titles for these ones. Usually with a standard subdivision, we would have to go through and do all that paperwork and then lay also to the foundations of say the, the what's it called, the um, the, the works, uh, the operational access to it. <laughs> exactly. And splitters, if you can find them, that they are quite rare on the market for sale uh, at a reasonable price. Um, I do encourage my clients to look for them at the same time as one into two subdivisions um, where you're creating two titles. But when you can find them, they are very, very swift. I've just had a client recently. She bought one for, I think, uh, in the eights, I think eight, 840 for a splitter block and sold each block uh, for 540 I think those are the rough numbers nice. and yeah she turned it around in 11 weeks from settlement to settlement so she, she funded it no money down i.e. a money partner paid for the whole lot and she was able to flip it in yeah in, in less than 12 weeks so when you can find them they are an absolute gem those those splitters there um, yeah just check though that they are a genuine splitter as opposed to um, what we call a widow block. Sometimes you will get blocks which um, are on two titles. You look at it and it says, yep, lots one and two or lots three and four. But uh, the genuine ones or the ones that are workable are two rectangles that are 10 by 40. Sometimes the widow blocks are on two titles. They are genuinely on two titles, but they're two triangles um, that uh, go from corner to corner that the cut and they're not usable as such. And, and the council won't respect that. You'll have to do what's called a reconfiguration of lot and move... Um, 
yeah, realignment of boundaries and move that line, that diagonal line, which is two triangles into two rectangles. And, um, That's so a lot my, more my work. Is, <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh, look, it's a lot more work. And splitters, like in terms of difficulty, I'd say they're like a one out of 10. They are... 90% of the time, assuming you can remove the house, there are some catches. If you can remove the house, the council will let you remove the house, the state government will let you move the house, remove the house. That's uh, the other challenge that you may find. But yeah, like you are saying, Tyrone, you don't have to put in the services um, necessarily. Uh, generally, my clients just put in the sewer and the water. Um, if you do a subdivision, you have to do sewer and water as well as storm water. Um, Telstra, i.e. NBN, electricity. Um, yeah, and, and that's where some of the challenges financially and um, organisational-wise can be problematic with subdivisions. Since they are rare to come by, we talk about how and where Nyung's client found a splitter and where they can be found on the market for the rest of us. Like In, in essence, she found them through a real estate agent um, and the agent was probably aware that um, it was a splitter. But um, she actually had approached the owner uh, prior to that, had approached the owner prior to that. So in the end, she, she approached the owner and then she heard through a, uh, a colleague that an agent was listing it. And lucky she had um, already told the owner, look, if you do sell it, make sure that um, you exclude me from the exclusive listing so that if you do sell it, you can buy it through me. So she found out firstly through the owner, through letters, I think it was. And then she got approached by the agent through a colleague and then she ended up buying it back through directly through the owner. So, <laughs> uh, um, and, and that allowed her to buy for a cheaper price, yes. right? Because had she paid through the agent, there would be a 3% commission or so on top of that. And at 800 grand or so, we're talking 20 odd thousand, which is in her back pocket. So, nice. Um, but but generally, you know, if you want to find these things, the I suppose the no-cost way to do it, no-cost way to do it is go on Google, uh, Google Maps, and you can just go up and down streets. Um, you can take the overlays off, and, and you will see the individual rectangles there. So you can pick any any suburb or city, and that they will indicate where the titles generally are. And then you can change the overlays to a satellite as well, and um, yeah, you can start to see uh, those kind of individual blocks that are titled on on the property so oh. um, so that's the, the the generic way the no cost way what the, uh, what I do and what uh, my clients do as well the professionals do is we use uh, software some of you may have heard of Upi data yep. price finder that's what I mainly use price finder I've used both of them for decades now since I was actually 19 so two decades and yeah I do prefer price finder there's a plug for you um, and uh, yeah no it's just a, a lot easier to use it integrates Google Maps internally doesn't use uh, involve Java, so it's really quick exports to Excel, and, and there are techniques and, and specific uh, strategies on on what to look for sizes of blocks. Um, but yeah, you're looking for roughly 800 square meter block, a thousand square meter block, depending on your locality, and, and there are some filters in there that you can tick boxes that spit out specifically splitters. But we don't generally <clears throat> just look for splitters; we look for blocks that are let's say 800 square meters a thousand square meters two thousand square meters because you want you don't want to just narrow your searches to splitters it's too narrow a search mm. you want to be able to see what you can do and, and subdivide um it's one into two or two into two and you're basically covering both filters there wow that's very very smart so pretty much to leverage a software they can actually do a search for you to be able to 
populate and give you those results and as you said export it out and you just start going through those and then i guess that's where the the fun part starts is to start reaching out to these people who have these potentially large sites oh i mean obviously there's another step which i've skipped but you want to check that it is possible that you can actually subdivide these kind of blocks of land as well because there's no point exactly. reaching out to these people and realizing oh it's not even within the as i guess zoning side of of the council for you to allow to do that Exactly, exactly. And I think coming back to, from a technical side of things, I know I, I kind of jumped straight into that at the beginning, um, but I think one of the things that people need to um, understand or, or research is the minimum land size. Mm. So whether it's 450, whether it's 500, whether it's 300, once you find a minimum land size, well, why that's important is let's say minimum land size 400 square meters, then you go, okay, I'm going to do a two into two or a one into two, then you automatically say, well, I need 800 square meters. So essentially that gives you some filters to work with. Otherwise you might have a filter of minimum 500 square meters up to 700 square meters and you might have 10,000 of those blocks, but you can't subdivide any of them. It's mm. wasting your time and, and uh, town planners time and engineers time. Um, so I think, look, that that's the first thing from a technical point of view is, is just find out what the minimum land size is. I'd be talking to a uh, a town planner or you know if someone's subdividing up your street you know have a chat to them um, find out some contacts use their contacts talk to builders often builders will know uh, what the minimum land size is in that particular area as well um, and then there's the zoning as well you want, you want to figure out what the zoning is i know that in let's say in uh, sydney or new south wales you've got r1234 i think the yep. r1s and twos are, are probably the the relevant ones and you can correct me I'm wrong there yeah so usually r1s is pretty much just residential housing where you don't really do too much and you can't do you know very very much um subdivisions there but it's usually the r2 r3 zoning so r2 usually is for duplexes and um simple triplex dwellings and then r3 allows you for more high density i, I should probably say it easier so r1 is usually low density R2 is medium density and R3 is high density and high density refers to like townhouses and units and so forth. So if you're looking to kind of kind of go for a little bit higher then yeah, if you want to do maybe at least a minimum of four townhouses or a, a unit block of say maybe about four or five unit blocks then you have to be R3 zoning. But R2 is pretty much stock standard for subdivision for us because that's medium um, density. You can sort of you know start at least a duplex um, you can go up to I think four or five uh, unit blocks as well too from that side of things but you'll need to check because every single council is different so that's sort of a very general guideline just based on my experience and, and work within New South Wales as well. Exactly, exactly and and then look, that's just the tip of the iceberg then you go into Queensland and then each of the individual Southeast Queensland for example councils are different again so you know for example Brisbane City Council the biggest council there they talk about low density residential as well as low to medium residential and then there's numbers two two three and three so you know my point is yeah it's a big part of finding anything is focusing on an area uh, becoming an area expert um, I know in Melbourne uh, the ones that we've looked at we're talking about um, NRZ uh, or GRZ, which is neighborhood or general residential zonings. And then there's other overlays, um, yeah, to potentially either subdivide or put townhouses. So I, I think, yeah, that's the thing about subdivision or small developments is, is you're starting to get into a world which can be quite technical mm. of what of what you need. Um, but after a while, you get the lingo, you get the jargon. Um, and your first subdivision or splitter, it may not be your first project, maybe your second project, third project, you might have done a few renos, uh, cut your teeth on that, maybe built a brand new house, bought a block of land, built a spec home on it. 
or just bought a straight old investment property and, and ready to, to go and expand. Coming up next on the Think Big Property Podcast, Nyong highlights the important realities of land subdivisions. But I'm wanting to give you some more reality on, okay, it's not just you know, getting a piece of paper, drawing two rectangles and, and selling it off. He outlines the process of successful development. It's about velocity of money, get in, get out, get paid. It's transactional, do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. And We discuss the challenges of property development and how to get around them. That's a new skill set. That, yeah, that everybody has to learn. It's completely, completely different to selling houses. And that's next on the Think Big Property Podcast. Stay tuned. Nyong and I begin to discuss my current joint venture subdivision and I share the challenges that I'm experiencing along the way. I did a joint venture with uh, a person in the Sunshine Coast and this first joint uh, joint venture subdivision was purchasing a big block of land. It was about 1,100 square meters and we've subdivided that. We're kind of still at the operational stage, still waiting for the final works. We're very, very close to the end actually. Um, but essentially, we've kind of got everything all laid out and just waiting now for the final titles to be released so that way we can actually you know, finally officially settle and sell the blocks as well. But essentially, what we did was we, we went out and found this really, really big block and that's what we're looking for, one into sub, two subdivision. And then as, if there's an old house, like a dated house that needs a little bit of TLC, which is tender love and care, we would go in and, and pretty much strip it out and then renovate it. And that's what we did. We spent, I think, about forty to about $50,000 on the renovation at the front. And that turned out really nice and got a lot of interest on that things, on those side of things. And as we discussed in our previous episodes, it's definitely a lot easier when people can actually see how it looks and they can actually picture how the renovation came up and how good the house looks. So it's easier for them to be able to look at buying the place and go, okay, you know, I, I want to move in because it's got all the right things. It, it looks nice, it's new, etc. But when it comes down to the block, it takes a little bit longer for them to sort of picture that. And that's where we've got to, you know, sell that in a different light in a different way. And that's what's taking a little bit longer to be able to sell that block of land at the back because the front one has pretty much um, got an offer on it. We're just waiting, finalizing all the things in the background. But, you know, long story short, it has been about close to, I think, 18 months now since we started back in um, April last year. Actually, it hasn't been 18 months. It's been a little bit over eight, no, let's say 16 months. Yeah, 16 months. So, that's kind of where we're at at this point in time. We initially had planned for 12 months for this whole development to be all done. Uh, unfortunately, due to COVID and um, changes in the market conditions, it has taken a lot longer to actually do because we actually had everything all ready and done. And, you know, operationally, we were pretty much ready to go in April um, to get all the council and all the water and all that kind of stuff, sewage and so forth laid down. Um, but just things slowed down completely and it, it kind of delayed things from there. But, yeah, you know, I think that's been a very, very good learning lesson. you got to factor in the worst case scenario and you also got to, you know, factor in the best case and, you know, work with what the market is and try to get in and quickly in and out of anything that you do as fast as you can. So that way, minimize or mitigate any risks that you have. And, and that's why when we started off, we were talking about this splitter and I know and I can see it energetically why you love the splitter so much because uh, the frustration of sometimes the delays mm. of projects can get to you and it comes out and oh my God. So um, yeah, the splitter within 24 
you know, 48 hours of buying the property, even signing the contract. If you want to, you can split the titles and release the titles. Um, practically speaking, you would have to remove the house and um, yeah, clean the site. And you can essentially within 24, 48 hours, sell the blocks of land on sold them to someone else, right? Whereas with the subdivision, what you're going through, firstly, you got to get an approval and that can take six, eight, maybe 12 months, depending on the yes. difficulty of the site yep. there. And then you, once you've got the initial development approval, you've got another set of approvals as well. And I don't, I'm not going to go too much into the technical side of the land subdivision space, but I'm wanting to give you some more reality on, okay, it's not just you know getting a piece of paper, drawing two rectangles and, and selling it off. Um, whereas with a splitter, it practically is you're knocking down the house, put connect some pipes, uh, hopefully they're close and right in front of your block. Uh, and, and you can, and off you go. Whereas this one here, the, the way you're saying, are you in plan ceiling? Yeah. Oh, that's that's where we're stuck at at this point in time. <laughs> you and everybody else, mate. Me too. Me too. Don't, don't feel you're alone, mate. Don't feel you're alone. So there's other processes as well. Uh, we've literally just lodged just the past Monday for plan sealing. It's for our process being 30, uh, 30 lots total. We're only doing 16 at stage one. Yep. I think, um, yeah, we've got um, a four four weeks of uh, plan sealing, which is 20 business days and for us, we've sold most of our blocks uh, subject. To, I think we've only got three left out of 16. That's and, great. Um, yeah, we, we want to get get out. And you know, in, in our instance, Tyrone, where uh, it took us 18 months to get the DA. And so, yeah, we're on to pretty much 30 months, uh, close to 36 months by the end of this year. Mm. So um, I feel your pain, but at the same time, welcome to the world of subdivision where things <laughs> always take longer. Things always take longer and things always cost more. Um, yeah. And so what Tyrone was saying before, I have a saying, it goes, you know, you want to get in, get out, get paid um, intentionally. And, and the other one is you want to make the most amount of money in the least amount of time with the least amount of stress and aggravation. Because if you guys want it, I know you're not going to from what you're saying in the conversation and the theme there, what you, you could do is you could build a house. Yes, well, that's that was the other option that we had because we explored so many different exit strategies as well, and we thought, hmm, should we hold on to that and you know wait a little bit longer because the market was rising at that point in time, and then just go ahead and see if we can build a house on there. But to actually add that on, I think it's going to take at least another twelve oh, plus months, depending on. I don't think you got the patience, mate. I can hear it in your voice. Well, I mean, I think it's more about for the investor because the investor has been very, very patient with us, and you know, ideally, we we want to you know help him to get his funds back as quick as possible. We're, we've been pretty much the sweat equity, so that way, you know, for us, it's not too much of an issue because we can actually manage all that. But um, to actually get the investor's funds back, we want to return it back term ACP and that's why you know I always look at now the different types of deals that I go in rather than you know be in a full deal from the start to the end if I can get into part of the deal where you know I'm limited the time and limited risk I would rather do that than you know go for full development now <laughs> I've learned that big lesson and look yeah and, and that's one part of it uh, there's other parts of it as well mm. yeah it's, it's difficulty there's duration there's value that you get from it um, and, and that's why when people do buy and hold um, in long term, they don't really care about the yeah. duration because the longer it is, if it's positive cash flow, the, the more positive cash flow they get. But yeah, you, right. in development, you know, it's about velocity of money. Get in, get out, get paid. It's transactional. Do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. And um, but my perspective as I've done more and more projects is being able to put more and more into the pipeline 
and, and getting better results. So instead of, and I know you're looking at doing this as well. Yes. Yeah, Tyrone, instead yep. of doing one into two, you graduate into one into four, one yep. into five, one into seven, one into 10. Um, and, and that has its own level of difficulty and challenges like with finance and sales. And I think uh, what you've mentioned there in terms of not being able to sell the land yet, that, that's a new skill set mm. that, yeah, that everybody has to learn. It's completely, completely different to selling houses. I mean, we, you see this side by side. As soon as you, you've got a completed, renovated house on one side of the land and you go, oh, you know, people look at it and they fall in love with it and they want to move in, most likely target towards an owner-occupy. It's great, you know, you can sell it. But then you look at the land at the back, you, you attract a completely different type of buyer who is thinking, mm, do I want to build my dream house on it or do I want to do something else? And that's where you got to look at the different types of perspectives on people's um, buying interest as well. And it, it's very clear when you see them side by side. <laughs> it's like, you know, you got a house on one, you got an empty land. Hmm, which one should I buy? I think I'd rather go for the one that's already been built. And that's, that's the thing with this Home Builders Grant that's uh, been around now for a few months now. I think that's where the, uh, is that where your opportunity is? Yeah, well, that's the good thing is that with that in place, it's actually in, increased the interest as well. And that has definitely made a difference in terms of people, you know, looking at the block of land much much faster compared to before. So there's definitely that component that has accelerated as well, the, the sales of it. And look, coming back to that, without preaching too much, I know that often people jump into land subs because it's quite different to, let's say, townhouses or duplexes. The good thing about duplexes and townhouses, when you build them is you, you, at the end, if you can't sell them or it takes a little bit longer, you can't rent them out. Yeah, you keep them so, for yourself, you know. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And if you're in a good area, potentially you get some capital growth. But with land, there's no income and it's all outgoings, land tax rates, insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it becomes very much a skilled thing. So um, I know that some of the guys who see me selling land and my client selling land very, very quickly. Well, yeah, it's definitely a skill and it takes time to learn it and get your head around it. Um, yes. Yeah, so, but once you've got the, the, the feel of it and the channels and the, when I say channels, the marketing channels, because it's different, the marketing approach is different. The contacts are different. Um, you, you will find having one block of land is a lot harder than selling five blocks of land as well because the agents who sell it uh, are more attuned to selling in bulk, mm. uh, the, the channels. So um, on your next one, yeah, definitely make sure if you are going to do uh, multiple blocks, yeah, get, get the marketing channel right. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck with five blocks of land. Next time on the Think Big Property Podcast, Nyong and I discuss what to look out for when starting your first land subdivision. I think budget is very, very important. Um, if you've only got like three or four hundred thousand dollars to play with, that really limits you to, to where you can go. Nyong gives you tips around suburbs and location. You can do that before committing and sometimes you know, it can take one to two months to figure out your suburbs. Um, unless you're having yeah, specific help from someone like myself or Tyrone. We discuss the challenges involved with the technical side of subdividing and who you can trust to help. So how can you in one instance do 400s and 600s front and back and at the same time, you know, myself, I can do uh, five blocks uh, on a thousand square meters, keep the house roughly 300 square meter block and, and four blocks of 180 square meters each. Like how does that compute, right? And that's on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast. See you soon. 
My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone.